Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So it's quite funny that when I talk to listeners, uh, a lot of them don't know we have a website, and we do. Uh, it's EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, and you can get all of the information about every episode, all the resources we are mentioning during each episode. You just have to go to everyonehatesmarketers.com and you'll have this information for free. Uh, there is something else that blows my mind, I have to say, is that in this day and age, we still have to convince companies to focus on their customers first before <laughs> making money, right? And some companies treat their customer in such a bad way um, they really wouldn't do that to their own mothers, right? Uh, that's kind of a hint for what's coming in this episode. So today, in this episode, you're going to learn how to earn your customers' love and admiration and grow your business. My guest today pioneered the role of the chief customer officer more than 20 years ago, which is amazing to see because now everybody's talking about it. But 20 years ago, I assumed that wasn't the case. She did amazing things for a lot of companies she, she worked for, and she's now the president of Customer Bliss and have many, many clients uh, like Johnson & Johnson, the US Postal System, the AAA, uh, and Brooks Brothers. So join me in welcoming Jean Bliss to this podcast. Jean, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining in. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you. Right. So let's dig in straight away into the meat of this episode. Why do you think we still have to tell companies to focus on their customers first? Well, you know, what's interesting, I just got done recording a, a podcast myself with um, someone who leads customer experience in a, in a big corporation. And it's because the, the things we talk about are internal metrics. We care about um, our sales goals. We care about our internal KPIs. We care about our marketplace con con uh, position, our cap, our EBITDA. And we forget to think about the fact that customers are the ones who drive all of these things. And um, I, I think a lot of it is the metrics that, that leaders use to talk about the business that leaves the customer out of the mix. And how do you convince those, those companies? Like, I, I assume that your clients are companies that understand the benefits of focusing on their customers instead of trying to make money first. Uh, but how do you... <laughs> How do you convince when you come across people who are not who don't agree with this philosophy? How do you convince them that this is the right way of, of thinking? <clears throat> well, it's a good question, and, and and you know one of the big things is I always say you have to ring the bell of the money guys and connect the dots between customer experience and business growth. This isn't kumbaya. We are the world. Let's go hug a customer. This isn't the customer service department where you're spending money to solve problems. This is about um, earning the right to grow by keeping more customers than you lose. And um, what we do with almost every organization that suddenly creates this a highlight is we do something simple called customer math. Customer math is simply getting your CEO, your CFO, your, your CIO, and whoever gathers the customer data together and creating a one company version of knowing what are your new customers volume and value and whole numbers. I don't want to use retention rates or churn because we need to think about humans. So you brought in 67,000 new customers. Here's their potential lifetime value or the value that they bring when they come to the party. But in that same quarter or month or year, we lost 47,000, which this much greater value. 
And yes, we're, you know, everybody's ringing the bell around new customers, but they're not doing the math and subtracting lost. And when you subtract lost from new, oh my gosh, you get, I'm Italian, so you may know this word, it's agita. You want to make people sick in the belly that you've lost more customers that you've gained. And all those marketing dollars were just about filling that leaky bucket. And when we do that, (laughs) when we do that, suddenly, oh, people care. Why, why, why? So we need to get leaders to care about the why. So the why are customers leaving, right? Why are they leaving? And and, and do simple math. You know, it's you cannot refute that if you brought in 50 and you lost 27 or you lost 45 or you lost 67, that, you know, your marketing dollars can bring them in, but your experience has got to keep them. Um, and, and companies are just spending good money after bad instead of keeping the ones they've got. And, and pardon me if I, this is a, a, a simple question, but in, yeah. a, in a business where you don't necessarily sell a subscription, uh, where you don't really, uh, you're not really able to know how many people have canceled their subscription, let's say just selling t-shirts or whatever it is, how do you know if a customer has churned? Well, there's a couple things, and, and again, the, 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 the wonderful cult- cultural thing that occurs, change that occurs, is digging into the data. I was just talking to a company that sells vitamins, and um, they can look in their customer database and, and, and look at orders and renewals, and you know, we look at a couple things. One is, um, did they stay or go? Did they increase, or, or did they downgrade their buying patterns, or are they lapsed? So, you know, what you want to do is tell the story of customers' lives, and that's got to start with, did we earn the right to grow, and what are the customer behaviors that indicate an engagement or a reduction in um, their interaction with us? And, and, you know, in this day and age, everybody's got the operational data, but it's doing the work of uniting all the operational data, getting agreement on what is new and what is lost, and, and letting people not you know, spend all their time refuting the methodology because you give them a seat at the table of building it. And instead saying, oh my gosh, you're right. We've lost more customers that we gained or we've spent all this money marketing, but we've, you know, we've got to respend it because we haven't kept our most valuable customers. It changes things. This is an interesting point of view. It's something that I haven't really come across before. I talked to, I talked to a few, um, evangelist of customer experience as a whole, but it's the first time I'm, I'm hearing uh, such a practical answer to the thing that, okay, you should care <laughs> about your customer because you might be losing way more than you think and you need to understand why and because you're gonna, you are losing money in the meantime. So that's that, right. That's quite practical already. And we're going to dive into even more practical things. I suspect what you just said might be repeated in the step by step methodology that we're going to uh, dive into right now. But that's already quite practical. So let's, let's take sure. a step back. Um, let's say that we are working with a company and that I am a startup founder or, or a company founder or a marketer within this company, mm-hmm. uh, or at least I care about, uh, about this company. I'm involved in it somehow. And I know that earning the customer's love and attention, that making them love the company and giving them a great experience, I know that this is the right way forward, but I don't really know where to start. So it might be a tricky thing for you because depending on the size of the business or the type of businesses that we, we take as an example, it might change. But let's try to take a, an approach that might work with a lot of different type of businesses. So step by step, how would you advise 
to start uh, improving the experience or, or, or at least putting the customer at the center of, of everything? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is this is what I do for a living. A lot of what I'm going to walk you through is in my 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 third book called Chief Customer Officer 2.0, which is really uh, what you mentioned, a, a, a framework or methodologies. And, and it's practical stuff. This isn't rocket science, but it takes diligence. So so number one, build your version of what I call customers as assets um, from the beginning. You know, get your leadership team engaged in. Um, that's it's simple. You know, did we bring in more customers than we lost? And what are one or two, maybe three other behavioral shifts? Um, create a fearless conversation where leaders are willing to share that with the company. As a result of the experience, we all delivered. This isn't a sales number. Did we earn the right to grow? The second thing is recreate what you consider to be the work of the company by the customer's goals or missions. Like, you know, a lot of people call it the stages of the experience. That's fine. I don't care what you call it, but rethink by stage of your journey or by interaction with your customer, what are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? And then go by stage of that journey and evaluate how reliable are you from a one company standpoint? Are you always delivering the information? Are you always clear to them? Are you 100% reliable or are you delivering an it depends experience? If you can start thinking instead of the silo we poured out, and I know this happens even in smaller companies, we get so involved in our, in our silo work, but instead say, what is the onboarding experience? What is our new customer experience? What is the um, downloading a product experience? This shifts immediately the culture. Um, I, I'll take a breath so that you can ask a <laughs> yeah. question. <laughs> yes, please take a breath. So that's that's an interesting overview, right? Um, now I know I can hear, I can listen to my listeners in my ear telling me, okay, ask her about details now. Um, sure. Okay, but how do you go about it in practical terms? Because this sounds like a big deal, right? I mean, customer journeys and experiences could, could span many different channels, many different... Um, at departments and teams inside the company, how do you actually go about it? Okay, so it's not, it, here's what it is. It's butcher paper and it's bringing in some customers. And uh, again, what happens to your point is when we talk about customer journeys, people go way, the pendulum swings way to the far end, which is we're gonna visio map every process and everything. I'm talking about just start by naming the stages of the journey. If you just start by naming the stages and you can bring customers and talk to your front line, that and get your leaders to start thinking about accountability by stage of the journey versus by silo, that changes everything. And by the way, name those stages by what your customer is trying to accomplish. The first stage of the journey in a lot of um, sales or marketing driven companies is sell the product or download a demo. Well, in fact, the customers is make me smarter. Give me no strings attached information to make me smart without selling me. So, and that's the glue. What's your what's your magnetic pull in that first stage that will make customers smarter? Okay, so you mentioned uh, two ways at least of getting this information. One number one is to get customers literally in your office and, and talk to them, right? Get them in your office and and ask them a couple ask them simple questions. What are you trying to accomplish first when you're thinking about what we do? What do you need to accomplish next? What's most important to you then? Because as they talk, you're going to be able to step outside your silo and instead rethink your operation from 
delivering value to them versus getting something from them. Do you see the difference? A lot of times our business is about getting something from customers. We will grow by delivering value to them versus getting something from them. Amen to that. I completely get it. Trust me. Uh, I'm evangelizing that any, any, any time I can. And every time I, I interview smart people like you, they all say the same thing in their own words. They all say, <laughs> at some point, they all say, talk to your customers, right? And I'm well, not... and, and it's, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, you're no, right. no, you're fine. And I'm not that, I'm not crazy. And, and I know like when I listen to people like you who have, who have like wealth of experience and knowledge and, and, and smarter than me, I, I know that I'm in the right track. So this is very interesting to hear. You've listened, you've heard that, you've heard that before. I'm talking to listeners right now. You've heard that before many times. You can see that the, the, the theme keeps coming back to the same thing. Talk to your customers and you will get uh, the first insights that you need. The second point that you made, which is quite interesting, is you said, talk to your first uh, front line. So what do you mean by front line? Uh, you know, it can be the front line in the middle too, you know, and, 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 and my, my thing about listening is create a, a discipline around how you listen and ask, because what you want to do initially is, is really figure out the stages of the journey, ask them for the stages, not just, you know, how's it going? You know, you need to have a, a framework. Um, and, and then for your employees, I also then will say by stage of the journey, What's getting in your way of delivering value here? For example, if you're a company with, with account reps that need to go out and call on customers and you say you're customer driven, but you send them on 40 visits a week and they only have time to really do a, 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 a drive through without really adding value, you know, your frontline will say, look, you're not giving me the time. You're not educating me. You're pinning me into all these rules. Um, I, I constantly have to do workarounds. I have frustrated customers. By stage of the journey, ask your employees what's getting in their way of delivering value. Yep. Amen to that as well. So that's a nice way to, to think about it. It's not only about the customers. And I would tend to say your employees, your team members, the people who are part of your business uh, are also your customers in a sense. Do you need to take care of them as much as you need to take care of your own customers? Because the way you treat them will have an impact on the way you treat your customers, right? Yeah. Here's what I always say. What's on the inside shows up on the outside. Yep. And you got you to gotta take care of people. I mean, it, it's it, if they feel like they're penned in and aren't able to, you know, act with what I call congruence of heart and habit, they're, they're not going to stick around with you for a lot longer. You call it congruence of? Heart and habit. God, you're using words I don't even understand. It's beautiful. Well, 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 what that means is what's in your heart or your values, what you were taught at home and the habits that you're being enforced to use at work. Thanks for making it simpler for me. Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I'm just playing dumb as well. I think it, it, it's good to, to define some, some terms that might not be that obvious uh, for people to, sure. to understand. So, all right. So at this stage, we have talked to customers. We have talked to our first uh, frontline and we have a, a, at least a rough understanding of the stages that people go through uh, throughout the journey, right? Yeah. So what do we do next? So the next thing is pick a couple things. Don't boil the ocean. You know, what happens with this work is, especially as customer experience is a buzzword and everybody and their brothers jumping on the bandwagon, I guarantee you that if you've got 25 or 200 or whatever, intersection points or touch points across your journey, there's probably 10 to 15 that are most important. 
Figure out what those are. Again, you can do that with your customers and employees and then pick one or two, not 15, not even seven, pick one or two and build it from the customer's life outward. Start with the customer's life and their goal and redesign the experience to deliver on that goal. And that's where you build, I call them competencies for rethinking how you do the work of the company. And this is the hard part. It's the, you know, customer experience. Everybody's like, it's this programmer voice of the customer. It's really about redesigning the work of the operations of the business so that you're delivering against those customer values, against those customer needs. And based on the interviews, based on, 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 on you talking to customers and talking to, to, to your front line and, and understanding the stages, how do you identify those very important intersection points or touch points then? Like, do you have a process for that? Well, I have a process and we use magnetic boards. And, um, you know, I, what's interesting is the the more high tech things become, the more low tech things also are touching a nerve. So we bring 10 to 15 customers in. Um, we bring leaders in as well. We video it. And by stage of the journey, um, we've we've got some of the initial touch points on a board as magnetic strips because we've talked to employees and they've given us some of them. And then by stage of the journey, in about two hours, we go by stage with the customer and we say, what are you trying to accomplish here? What do you need? What's working? What's not? And as your customers are talking, they're not going to say, here's a touch point, but they're going to say what's important to them. And then in real time, we have people in the back of the room writing these new touch points on magnetic strips. And it's very cool because it's co-creation. And then we give the customers 15 magnetic dots at the end of this thing. We take two hours. Let's say you've got five stages of your journey. Two hours, you go through all the stages. Your customers are engaged. They're talking with each other. You're facilitating it. You give them these 15 magnetic dots and you say, okay, tell us where to focus. Now, you need to do three or four or five of these depending on you know how much you need validation. But after the second or third one, your customers are going to start putting dots on the same touch points. And, and, and we found that, you know, you don't have to go crazy. Don't boil the ocean. These are probably things that you've known already that you're going to get validation from, but you're going to get a lot more granularity than what you would get from just sending out a survey. Right. So you go really full blown into this. Like when you say talk to your customers, really talk to them, uh, which is interesting because most of the time when we talk about customer understanding, customer research, customer development in, in this podcast, we talk about Skype, Skype interviews or video calls. Uh, but you're really talking about meeting them face to face, putting them into the same place than your leaders and you make them work almost as hard as the employees uh, of your business, right? That's right. And we make the lead, we make, we engage the leaders in part of the conversation. So as we're going by stage of the journey and, and we coach the leaders beforehand that we, we coach the leaders to ask customers clarifying questions about what they meant. And, you know, beforehand we tell the leaders, you can't defend, deny, or explain away what the customer is saying because to the customer, that's a very real experience or perception they're having. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that in 15 presentations of data to leaders, there's nothing like them sitting eyeball to eyeball with customers having these conversations. It changes things. Yeah, it does. And so you're mentioning something very interesting, but I think it's actually step two. So step one is, is the, the, the mapping out the first, the stages according to, uh, according to what you think are the stages. But you mentioned something quickly that is very interesting is the fact that 
you need to train people to to do a few things. So can you repeat what you said? You, you need to train them not to contradict the customers. Is that it? Um, well, with leaders, as they're talking to customers and any of us, you know, we're human beings. And so sometimes in these sessions, customers will will bring up things as problems that the company might already be doing. But But that means that we haven't communicated it well enough to the customer to know that it exists. So we can't, we, we, we coach the leaders, you can't defend that and say, here's why we're doing it, deny or explain away why you're doing this stuff. You have to just say, well, tell us what's happening for you. Help us know what you're feeling like. Do you mean this? Because it's, th what, what this also evolves and helps us understand is, We may believe we're doing all this good stuff, but we've made it so complicated to get to, or we haven't explained it. I, I, I've got a great example. We had a um, company that had a lot of robust information on their website. And the, the guy who ran marketing was so proud of the amount of time customers were on that website and, and how many documents they had downloaded. And, and he was using those metrics as success metrics. Well, when we talked to the customers, they said, well, we're on your website so long because it's so complicated in the way it's organized. And we download so many documents because we can't get the answer in just one. We have to download five documents to get try to piece the answers together. That's a great example. So I guess this is something this is something that is really mind blowing for a lot of people uh, listening, because you really wouldn't consider putting customers and leaders in the same room. Uh, but you have to do it. And I guess this is one of the best ways to, to convince leaders to listen and to change things if they weren't really willing to do that in the past. I, I very, yes. I love this. I love this, this, this way of thinking. So we are at step three right now where you have customers who really helped you to identify the key touch points. So let's say we have now, I guess the step four would really be identify one or two. Right. Based yeah. Focus, on the... focus, focus. Don't boil the ocean. Right. Don't mm. boil the ocean. Great. So we have, let's say we have one for the sake of simplicity. We have sure. this one big touch point that we know that if we change it, the experience of, of people will really improve and therefore sales should improve and all the rest should follow. What do you do next? Well, the, the thing here then is to, first of all, map the current experience. Typically, And, and don't map it from an internal process standpoint, because you can have everybody that says, well, you do this, then you do that, then you do that. Map it from the customer standpoint. Well, and it turns into a spaghetti bowl, right? So let's say it's onboarding a new customer. Um, what happens first? Who connects to them? What if they can't reach somebody? What if their information doesn't download? You know, you've got to map the real life experience the customer's having today And, and baseline it and then get everybody to agree. And then we, um, then what you want to do is start with customers' emotions and needs and redesign the experience to, to meet those emotions and needs. And then through the process, we bring customers back in. Okay. Is this what you, is this what you meant? Um, oh. is this the right metric? Is this the right internal KPI? You, you can't do this in a vacuum. Okay, so let, let's let's break that down because you said a lot of interesting stuff that I think is more detailed. So, you you really drill into the touch points uh, from the, the the person's point of view and really understand um, 
the scenarios that could run that could happen like as 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 you said perhaps so the person in customer service is not available right now or what if the item is not delivered or what if so you play kind of a what if game of understanding mm -hmm. what could happen and then you said something that i like quite a lot is the, talking about emotions and feelings so can you repeat this because i think it's another step of course yes and and thank you and and in fact one of the The things that we do, I, I, I bring leaders together before we do this process to kind of prepare them and level set them on the stages. And um, by stage of the journey and across the journey, we talk about the emotions customers are having. And the work is to flip it from, you know, what sometimes are negative or fearful or worrisome emotions. And we find this in B2B and in B2C to what are the positive outcomes or emotions that we want customers to experience and be able to describe. Okay. And, 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 then, and then the other thing is by stage of the journey, what do we want customers in their own words say, want be able to say that they accomplished? And, and we actually go through a quote exercise where we write the quotes we want to earn from customers by stage of the journey of what they were able to accomplish because we were in their life. So for every major touch point, you kind of make them say in their own words what you want to accomplish once you... We just Yeah, we do that initially just for the stages of the journey. And then as you go deeper into the touch points, you can do that same exercise. Okay, right. So we have the touch points, we have the emotions that we want people to feel, or at least the emotions we want them to stop feeling in a sense, because if they are, if they feel stressed or anxious, this is not an emotion that you want typically want uh, in a business, I, I assume. And then you said, You basically bring them back, which is which is quite good. So you you bring them once, you do the exercise, then you work um, in the business, and then you make them you make them come back. Do you bring the same customers? Uh, it depends on what you're working on. So typically, sometimes we will, and if we don't bring them back, you have to make sure you keep communicating with those customers so they feel like they've spent a day of their time for some good, um, and and and. You know, we might bring other customers in as well as we're working on the process or the experience. It's just that you're you're going to be informed who you bring in based on what you're working on. Right. So before I, I challenge you on the next steps and, and try to ask uh, more details uh, into them, I, I can also hear listeners thinking, um, okay, that's all well and good, but how do you convince customers to spend that much time with me? Like, why should they care? Well, here's what's interesting. And, and we've done this all over the world with big and small companies, every kind of organization. When you invite your customers to come to a session and you tell them that the CEO of the company and the leadership team is going to be there and they want to listen to them, wow. I mean, we've had the biggest oil companies in the world. We've had the biggest retailers, the biggest SaaS companies. And they all, and we do this in B2B and B2C, you know, you bring your partners in. Um, they all say, I have never had a company be this honest and transparent and fearless in having this conversation. And so if you start that way and it is genuine, they'll want to keep be, keep having a seat at the table. And, and in practical terms, do you actually pay them to come to the office, for example? Uh, good question. Uh, most of my clients will um, give some kind of a Um, a gift, a thank you. It depends also on the rules around the dis uh, around the uh, the vertical industry. For example, you know, healthcare, you can't pay a customer, so um, there's rules around that. Okay, um, right. Let's go back to the steps. I think we're nearly done in in to have a, a solid framework that people can use. So you say you bring people back, and 
Tell me again what you check with them. Well, you you kind of check are we you know you are we delivering the experience? Sometimes we'll create prototypes of them. I mean, this is all about design. Um, we also check with them the internal metrics operationally that we're now going to put into place for the organization to have to live by. Um, so that in addition to, you know, did customers stay or go, we have another set of indicators of, are we delivering here? Are we hitting the mark here? Um, and, and we, we bring our employees back in our leaders and the people who are part of it to, to listen to this, this feedback. So it's, it's really a checks and balances, um, as we're building these new experiences. Right. And I assume once you have that, so you have the, the prototypes and it starts to work, then you implement them in the business. Uh, I think that sounds like the, 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 the next step. But, um, as you know, the world is changing quite fast. The markets uh, are changing very fast. New products arrive every day. New companies arrive right. every day. Customer change, technology change. How do you manage uh, to keep up with this change then? Well, I, it's really the, that's that's one of the most important questions. Um, you know, there's a couple things about experiences that won't change. Um, are you reliable in the basic interactions you have with your customers? I would encourage people to start with those things. Are you reliable in how you deliver, how you inform if you don't deliver, the information and the way that you explain, um, the reliability of your platform? Um, all of those things are usually a lot of the early, early projects and then after that, you, you know, and that's how you build your, your competency for doing the work. And then, and then after that, what you, you are able to start doing is embedding the ability to do this work inside of the rest of the organization. And, and that's, you know, probably a while down the road, but the, the reliability parts of running the engine of a business, um, regardless of how fast it's moving are really critical to get right in initially. Um, you said a word uh, that is very interesting. You said the word fearless. Uh, just to, to, to thank you, first of all, to, to, for finishing the step-by-step. -step. I wasn't expecting you to get uh, into that, that many details, which is good. And you know what? I, I'm going I'm to be transparent and honest with you right now. I always fear when I interview people and, and smart people like you that I always fear that at the end, after a number of interviews on this podcast, that we're going to repeat the same thing over and over again and people will get mm. bored, right? And every single time without fail, I learn something new. Every single time there's something, at least something, and to be honest, in this interview so far, I've learned more than one thing that I've oh, never heard before, <laughs> uh, right? But this is, this is important, right? And this is why mm -hmm. that what keeps me going as well is that I keep learning new things and I hope that listeners uh, keep, uh, keep learning new things as well. So thank you for doing this exercise because I know it's not easy, right? Going back to fearless, the adjective fearless, uh -huh. you said sure. customers like the fact that I've they say I've never seen a company that is that fearless. Um, mm -hmm. So then what are companies afraid of in general? I, fearless, the word fearless in that contact was, context was to invite customers in and tell us and again, we, we organize it by stage of the journey. So it's not just willy nilly, but, but be open to honest and open feedback and communication from customers. Um, not with the constraints of survey questions, but, but, but eyeball to eyeball conversation with the leaders of the company. 
that's what they love. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I I I don't know you uh, very well. Obviously, we have just started talking a few minutes ago, but I can feel a huge drive, and you have a huge, like, really strong personality, and you're not afraid to 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 say things as they are, which I very much like. So. If you had to pick a story of your story, something related to you personally that made you who you are today, what would it be? Um, well, probably growing up, I was one of seven kids. Um, my dad had a, you may not know this, uh, this brand, but he had a Buster Brown shoe store, and, which was a children's shoe store. And all seven of us kids watched my dad, um, how he treated customers. He took care of the very first pair of shoes that young moms would put on their feet. And it was not about the shoes. It was about the life and this mother and the importance of her putting shoes on her first child, you know, her child's first first pair of shoes. And he became a part of the story of people's lives. I mean, he shooed a generation of children and, and their children's children. And, and when he retired, a line of people four blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. I mean, that that's the gift of my life and, and why I do this work. And, you know, I learned it, uh, you know, watching my dad. Well, thanks so much for your transparency in this. And this is why I ask typically ask this question, because usually that leads to this type of answer. And I'm curious to hear, um, uh, apart from you, who's really uh, who's got inspired by, by your dad's work, uh, are your other siblings, uh, have they been inspired by, by your dad in other fashion? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the way we grew, we were raised, and it's actually the reason I'm writing my last book is the way we were raised, you know, kind of gave us our value system and, and all of my siblings, you know, there's a lot of us. Um, it, it's, it's kind of the lens through which we live our lives. Um, and, and it stays with you. Makes sense. Uh, it, it reminds me of, of uh, an interview I've done with the CEO of Hotjar, David Darman, in a, a month ago, and, and he mentioned something quite similar. The story actually mentioned was his granddad uh, that inspired him. And funnily enough, I think he was also involved in making shoes somehow. Um, so oh. yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. That's two stories that sound very similar to me, at least from my perspective. Um, oh yeah. So this podcast is for marketers and it's a marketing podcast, but it's not only for marketers, but I'm curious, um, as you might have guessed from, from uh, the interview so far and the conversation rather so far, we are not afraid to say things as they are. We are not afraid to find, uh, to fight against the bullshit in marketing. So uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective because you're not a marketer per se, even though you probably do a lot of marketing. Um, why do you think marketers have such a bad reputation nowadays? Well, you know, I don't think it's marketers as people. So let's just put that to the side. I think it's marketing. Um, sometimes marketing has, as I mentioned earlier, um, become about what you want to get from customers versus what you want to deliver and earn. Um, for, for example, you know, the word loyalty, um, it, it has kind of taken on an interesting connotation because it's about upselling and cross-selling, you know, and so we spend all our time pitching versus earning. And, and, and so I think that it's, it's, it's not the people, it's just some of the practices that have emerged out of the discipline of marketing. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It's not... We are not against the people, and uh, in particular, even if the title 
of the show might imply that it's uh, against every every marketer. Uh, it's more about the practice, the bad practices that are out there. If you had to pinpoint one bad practice, one thing in particular uh, that marketers tend to do that shouldn't be done, what would it be? You know, I think the I think we sell too soon. You know, um, and this happens, and as we talk to customers over and over again, the the first stage of a journey, for example, should be about no strings attached education and information. And and instead, let's say let's say I'm on a website and I download a document that I want to read. The first thing I get is a prospecting email. What do you want? What do you need? Can I call you? When can I call you? And it's like, holy moly, please let me absorb this, find out if it's valuable and give me good content. Be valuable to me so that I can reach out to you. Um, and, and I think that's the big thing we hear over and over again from customers. I remember seeing this uh this email, this tweet, I think, from the CEO of Intercom, uh, which is a, a software to communicate with people at scale in a personal way. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing his tweet recently, which reminds me of what you just said. He took a screenshot of the, the, the emails that salespeople sent him, uh, asking for a 15 minute chat, right? Um, so like you could see the screenshot is this search in his gmail and the keyword is is 15 minute chat and you can see all of those conversations from people saying hey do you have 15 minutes to talk are you free for a 15 minute chat um and he's making the point that nobody has time for a 15 minute chat it's never about the chat it's it's about as you said you know if you deliver value first of all if you really help them out and give them the information they need they will reach out to you you don't have to like ask them for a chat uh, if they don't have time and if they, they're not ready to buy anything yet. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for example, microcosm of this is LinkedIn. People ask you to link with them and I'm happy to link. But then the first thing that happens is I get some kind of prospecting email. Yep. Oh, my goodness. You know, you you kind of lose your your mojo, I think, if you're always prospecting. You know, that's why I'm a broken record. You need to replace selling with earning. You need to earn the right to grow. You need to earn the right to the customer's advocacy. You need to earn the right to their emotional connection to you. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, why, what do you think marketers and, and as I said, not necessarily marketers, but marketers, tech people, startup founders, anyway, anybody who wants to use marketing in their own, um, job or, 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 or business, what do you think they should learn today? that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or even 50 years? Well, you know what we're seeing is a blending of marketing and customer experience so that they become united um, from the standpoint of not isolating the work of communicating with customers, knowing customers to the front of the sales funnel. Um, embed and learn the discipline of engaging with customers in genuine and real ways across uh, the entire journey. And, and that's why we're seeing a lot of CMOs also take on this chief customer officer role and uh, expand to customer experience. And I think the more that that happens, um, the more also I think marketers will, 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 will love the expanded role because it connects to the entirety of the operation and not just the beginning of the funnel. And with that in mind, what key resources would you recommend people to check out to start uh, this journey? 
Well, um, I'm the co-founder of something called the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Uh, we've created it to, um, to to help create the discipline of customer experience for anyone who, who who's interested in making that a part of their career. Um, I'd also um, shamelessly encourage you to listen to my podcast, which is called the Chief Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show, where I in, where I interview. Uh, someone leading customer experience. Uh, some are many are CMOs. Some are just CCOs or around the world. Um, we have about 86 episodes. And um, beyond that, there's some great LinkedIn groups that are um, connecting the CMO councils and the CMO groups, I think, are also expanding um, into customer experience. I, I think the biggest work is around talking to others doing the work because we we really learn by standing on the shoulders of the people that came before us. Thanks for those resources. I think you've forgotten the key resources uh, that people should check out as well, right? So you have written already three books, right? Can you remind oh, us? No, no, sure. it's fine. I know you're being too nice and not salesy, but it's my <laughs> job as well to put you in the good light because you've been really helpful in the last oh, 40 you. minutes. And it's only fair to mention the books and people should definitely take a look. So can you remind us the three books you've already written? Sure. I, I, my first book was called Chief Customer Officer. It came out in 2006. I was a chief. I, I led customer experience for five major U.S. corporations. So I was a practitioner. And, and my last role was the general manager of worldwide customer and partner loyalty for Microsoft. And two years after that, I wrote um, the Chief Customer Officer book. It was the first time somebody had written around a customer experience leadership role. I, I wrote a book called I Love You More Than My Dog, which is an aspirational book about how to become a beloved company. Um, in, in 2015, I rewrote the CCO book. It's called Cease Chief Customer Officer 2.0. It's a complete framework. And, and a lot of the customer journey work we talked about is in there. And, and I have another one coming um, up in 2018. Yes, right. So at this stage, if you're listening to this episode, we are in 2018. And the book... Oh, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, I know it's not easy. And uh, you, uh, so th the book is quite good. I like. I, I kind of like the concept. How, how is it called? It's called um, "Would You Do That to Your Mother?" Yeah, and that answers the question that I started in, in the introduction, uh, saying that companies treat their customers badly sometimes, uh, and they really wouldn't do that to their own mother. And if you pass, if you pass the mom test, in a sense, if you, if every major touch points of your of your journey you you would treat your mom this way you wouldn't mind your mom going through it then you're probably in a good place is that right well it is and and it's also around you know building a company that's aligned to the values that we grew up with from our moms and um uh yeah yeah it's it and it's broken into four key chapters that are fun um be the person i raised you to be don't make me feed you soap uh, put others before yourself and take the high road and so it gives a framework uh, like the dog book did of, of, of things to be good at and things to think about your mother and as you build your business. Uh, Jean, you've been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to. I've learned a lot from you. Where can listeners connect with you and learn more from you? Uh, sure. Thank you for that. My website is customerbliss.com and um, I'm on, uh, on um, Twitter at, at Jean Bliss. But if you go to customerbliss.com, we'll be launching the book from there and uh, all kinds of great resources, things that you can download, chapters of my book and lots of resources there as well. Well, Jean, once again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. 
that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing i like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on itunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.